0: Let's turn our attention now to the book of James. And today I just want to give us uh, an introduction. So it won't be as long as we usually go, and we won't be digging into any uh, particular text, but I want to give us somewhat of an overview that will set us on course for where we will dive in next week. But first let me pray and ask for the Spirit's help, and then we'll get after it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us in this time of study today. We pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be attuned, and that you'd prepare us to hear uh, your word today and also for the road ahead in the weeks to come. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's begin by asking and answering the question, what is the book of James? Well, it is what is called a general or universal epistle. It was a letter, and it was written to uh, a, a group of Christians, not simply a specific group, say, for example, like, 1 Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth. James, being general or universal in nature, was written to uh, the church in general as opposed to a specific congregation in a specific city. So you will notice that as we look through uh, the type of counsel that he gives, it bears a very universal message uh, in, in its substance and form. Now, who wrote this book and when did he write it? Well, of course, it was James. It was Jesus' half-brother. We learned that from Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 55, and he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And we know this for a few reasons. Number one, uh, because the, the, the scripture introduces us to James in this way, and as I mentioned in Matthew, but also because of history and tradition, the vocabulary that he used, the authority that he exercised. You can tell this is a man that spoke as an apostle, clearly had a word from God for the people of God, and his teaching is very consistent with what we know about James from the book of Acts. Uh, It was most likely written sometime in the early to mid-40s. Now, to whom did he write it? I've mentioned already that it was more general in nature, but let's narrow the scope just a bit. Uh, I believe that it was most likely to a group of scattered Jewish Christian house churches outside of Palestine. Uh, we know from the mention in James 1.1 1, 1, that it will have distinctively Jewish content, and its focus on poverty and persecution also lends us to look in that direction, because those were things that they were obviously dealing with uh, at that time in that context. Uh, It also appears that these causes and the things that they have experienced, the the persecution and so on, have driven them from their homes, and it has also put them in a series of conflictual situations. And so one of the things that James is going to speak a good bit about uh, is conflict and how to handle it and how to resolve it and so on and so forth, so we will pay close attention to that because that is certainly a need for us in our day as well. Uh, you also see that this letter has a, kind of an interesting tone to it In uh, into the group into which he was speaking. These folks have clearly put their faith in Jesus, but they are also clearly off track. It kind of reminds me a little bit of where we ended the story last week with Nehemiah. These people have been a part of this great miraculous work of, work of God and then off track and had to be... Uh, brought back online, so to speak. And so James functions in some ways in that regard. Uh, Some of their specific sins that we'll see that they will encounter, they've become worldly, they've begun fighting one another, they've started to show favoritism, and they continually seem to waver between God and the world. Uh, And with many of these same kinds of things tempting us in our day, our situation is different uh, the the sin is the same and therefore the counsel that is needed is the same and certainly the remedy which is jesus uh, is certainly the same for us as well so we see james take this very pastoral tone there's there's some rebuke there's some encouragement there's certainly a lot of counsel and when you look at kind of the the structure and the themes of the book that he will engage uh Let me organize it just a little bit around these five he's going to talk about trials and Christian maturity that'll be chapter one verses one through eighteen. Then secondly, verse uh, nineteen through two twenty six he's going to talk about true Christianity being seen in its works and Any time that we say that, we want to almost put kind of a mental asterisk beside that because clearly we stand with all historic Christianity. And we know that we are justified not by works and that we're working for our own salvation, but we're justified by faith in Christ that leads to good works. And so we're going to see James kind of emphasize that outworking part. And we'll talk a lot about this when we get into chapter two. There's there's some really good theology for us to, to, to do there and to be helped by. Uh, and he's really going to lean into the practical outworking of our faith as being evidence for true faith, which, of course, is obviously what the Bible teaches as well. These are not enemies. These are friends. So we're going to see that faith in action. We're going to see how that faith works itself out, and it's going to be a real help to us. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, all the way over to chapter 4, verse 12, we're going to see dissensions within the Christian community and how those need to be addressed and dealt with. Then, chapter four, verse thirteen, uh, picking up to, to five eleven, we're going to see the implications of a Christian worldview. So, when we embrace the gospel, it's not just mental assent to a certain set of ideas, but but it really is the engine that influences all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our decision making. And so James wants to speak to us about that and wants to help us flesh that out uh, in the shoe leather of life. And then finally, at the end of chapter 12, uh, or excuse me, end of chapter 5, verse 12 through 20, we'll have some concluding exhortations, and he kind of caps the book off. So that is the the structure and some of the themes of the book uh, of which we will engage. And so let me give you some other facts about the book that I, I think will help us as well. Uh, you will notice that apart from its initial greeting that we'll dive into next week, James reads a lot more like Proverbs than it does Colossians, for example. Uh, There's a lot of practical wisdom in this book. In fact, many people talk about this book uh, as it is the, the wisdom literature of the New Testament. Some even believe it to be uh, a type of ancient Greek satire, that this was a writing style that James used to convey his point. And uh, you will certainly see and benefit from the very practical counsel that James will give us. Uh, you'll also notice that it bears some strong similarity to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I think the first reason why that is the case is certainly because yeah, the Holy Spirit was at work in delivering both of those to us, and they are both inspired scripture. But I also can't help but think that it's because of the familial connection here, that this is Jesus's half-brother, and so he would have been uh, close to Jesus uh, in, in every possible way that you would have been. The family connection, the spiritual connection. Of course, he was around for a lot of Jesus's teaching, so on and so forth. And so that connection to the Sermon on the Mount is not Uh, one that we need to let slip away from us. From a doctrinal standpoint, we already mentioned uh, that it's going to have a lot to say about faith and works and so on, but it also touches uh, repeatedly on the doctrine of God, uh, the doctrine of sin, and we even get a little counsel about the end times uh, that would be prudent for us to give ear to as well. You will also notice uh, that it is a very imperative book, and what I mean by that uh, is it's very directive in nature. There are 50 imperatives in the book's 108 verses. So every couple of verses, James is telling us something. Uh, here, here's what you should do, or here's what Christians need to do, so on and so forth. And we don't need to be afraid of that. Uh, being directive, as long as it is rooted, uh, uh, let me say it like this: if if our gospel imperatives are rooted in our gospel indicatives well, then we're going to do exactly what we need to do with this. We are going to be able to hear the direction from the Spirit of God, be inspired and empowered by the Spirit of God, carried along by the Spirit of God, but also walking in step with the Spirit of God, just understanding the grace of God, that apart from it, we have no hope, Uh, and that also when we fail to do what this book will tell us to do, the grace of God is there to catch us and to guide us and to to put us back on the path that we need to be on. So in the midst of all of this, uh, do this, so to speak, it is never far from what has already been done for us in Jesus. And those two things are not enemies, they are friends, and we will talk about how uh, that fleshes out together as we work through the book, and I think it will be an immense help to us. Now, let me kind of close this little uh, section of what we're talking about here by giving some practical counsel of how can we as listeners get the most out of this series and our time that we spend together each week talking uh, about the book of James. Well, the first thing I would counsel to you is to read this book in its entirety. It's not very long. It's 108 verses. I mean, it's two or three pages in your Bible, depending upon your uh, translation. So you could probably read this entire book in, I don't know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes tops. And I know one of the ways that I've begun to prepare for teaching this book uh, is I didn't just read it, but I listened to it. And I've always found that, you know, a lot of academic research and what we learn about education and so on kind of backs this up as well that many of us have different learning styles. We don't all learn the same way. And so some people, they love to read, can't get enough. Other people, reading is hard for them. It's hard to focus. But if you listen to it in addition to, or as you read through it, it's going to help you. It's going to help you see some things with your ears, so to speak, that maybe you might not have seen simply with your eyes. Uh, I think it will reinforce your ability to retain it Um, And it's also something you can do as you take a walk or walk the dogs or get on the treadmill, whatever. So I highly, highly, highly recommend steeping in this book as if it were your favorite tea. Steep in this book as if it were your favorite tea. Listen to it, read it, read it and listen to it again. It will help you, it will also make you more prepared for each Sunday you will be able to come in going, hey, I listened to that this week, or I heard that last week, I got these questions, I wonder what whoever's teaching that week, I wonder what they're gonna say about that, so on and so forth. Uh, I just can't commend that to you enough. So, listen to it, read it, steep in it like tea. Now, the second thing I would say here is, also meditate on it, and what I mean by that is to begin to turn these ideas over in your mind. Uh, if you're a journaler, someone who writes things down, uh, one thing that I've found that's helpful to me is, is to write out some of those observations. Uh, what particular, so let's say you do have a question. I wonder, wonder what so-and-so is going to say about faith and works and how that works. Well, write that down because if you come to these times of teaching prepared, there, there's no way you're not going to get more out of it. And that's what we want to be. Uh, here at the church, what is our vision? Our vision is to make disciples that make disciples for the glory of God. And part of being a faithful disciple is learning. And who better can we have to learn from, from the Spirit of God who has given us the Word of God, to teach us what God wants us to do. And so we need to come to these times prepared. We need to have engaged this text. We need to be writing these things down, and we need to be taking these notes and preparing for our time together each Sunday. Now, let me also say this. Read the text devotionally looking for gospel application, and here's what I mean by this. Here at Refuge, we are not simply interested in making informed disciples, okay? My goal every week Uh, The the goal of our Thrive Groups for both men and women, Laurie Ann's goal, uh, whoever else teaches in in any of our environments, our goal is not simply to infuse you with facts, but we want to infuse you with facts that lead to a wonder and worship of God, a, a desire to be more like Jesus. Uh, a desire to grow in your understanding and the application of the gospel, we don't simply want you to be informed. We want you to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that is that is the end to which we all teach in our various capacities. And so as we work through this, let, let's just take one example here. Uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you that this one's going to get all of us. Uh, James is going to talk a lot about the tongue, about speech, about the words that we use, the, the things that we say and don't say and so on. There's not a single one of us that will be listening to what the Word says that can go, oh boy, I got that one right. I'm 100% awesome and everything I say and do and respond and so on. No, none of us can say that we've got it right 100%. So naturally, that failure that will be illuminated precipitously it leads us to the success of Jesus on our behalf. When we look at all those ways that we're falling down on the spiritual job, we immediately look up to the one that never fell down in his spiritual job, that that our own failure leads us to a greater appreciation of Jesus. And as we talk more about, let's say with this idea here, uh, the tongue and speech, we begin to remember what the word says, things like this, that out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so we begin to understand that the words we use on the surface really just convey what is happening under the surface in our hearts. And that's where we need to be renewed and transformed from the inside out because that's where our behavior, including our speech, comes from. It comes from our hearts. And so as we read through this on your own, and then every week when we study it together, We want to be continually moving in the direction of seeing our heart transformed as we apply the gospel. Let me give you one other example here. We're going to to talk about uh, showing partiality. Now, none of us, we we don't ever want to do that on purpose, but I'm telling you, it'll slip up. It, It pops up in our lives. So again, we need to ask ourselves when we see that kind of sin, not just what is the sin on the outside, but what is the sin on the inside? What is going on in my heart that would cause me to choose to serve the status that I perceive this person could provide me or the comfort this person could provide me that would cause me to behave in such a way that I'm willing to push somebody else down so that I can get a hold of that idol. You see what I'm saying? we got to read for transformation, look for ways to apply the gospel, always be thinking about our hearts, and be moving in that direction. Because where is this book ultimately going to take us? It's not going to take us simply down the path of, here's 50 things you ought to do to be a better Christian. It's going to lead us down the path of seeing who is the best Christian, the one that was such a good Christian, the whole thing is named after him, the God-man Jesus Christ himself. And so the purpose of James is not simply to tell us here's what to do. It's to take us in that direction, but to highlight what has already been done, to highlight the greatness and the glory and the wisdom and the help, and the ultimate sacrificial sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he made for us. So every week, as we are both simultaneously convicted and encouraged, we're going to have the opportunity to be gently led down the path to Calvary, so that we might see the greatness and the glory of Jesus on display, and that we might respond appropriately. Now, for some of us who are hearing this today, maybe you just stumbled upon this. Maybe you're not even yet a Christian. We're so glad that you're here. If what I'm saying about Jesus stirs something in your heart today, I want you to know that you can become Christian even while you're watching this, that you would admit that you're a sinner, that you would believe in the perfect life that substitutes death and the glorious resurrection of Jesus, and that you would confess your sins to him and commit your life to follow him. That's how we become Christians. And as we begin to walk that path, things begin to change. We begin to see the world through entirely different lenses. And if something is a stir in your heart today on that topic, I would encourage you to reach out to us, refugefranklin at gmail.com, and we want to help you any way that we can on your spiritual journey. But for all of us who've already made that turn, as we've been introduced to the book of James this week. Let me give you this encouragement as your pastor. Go ahead and start to read it. Start to listen to it. Start to look for those ways where our lack leads to a greater love of Jesus and his good news. Go ahead and start to pray that the Spirit of God would begin to speak to you and illuminate what he wants to do in your life in these coming weeks. I guarantee it will help us. It will help us as individuals, as families, and as a church. And we will get to see what only God can do in these weeks to come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather around your word this morning, even in this introductory capacity. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to lead us on this journey as only you can, and that you would strengthen us and change us for the road ahead.